Uh, happy Advent, everybody. This is, a, this is an important season in the life of uh, our faith and in the life of our church. It's a, a time for us to watch and wait, like the, the prayers and the candles will remind us of throughout the season. It's a time of, of peeking over the wall and looking to see what's happening on the other side, even though we know it's unique. It's not the same as the people of God historically had to do because we are on this side of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit and, uh, and we're going to explore kind of a broader, a broader theme uh, for the next three weeks uh, from some different angles. And that theme that we're going to talk about um, is, is the theme of, of peace or shalom. And that's what the writings we've, uh, we've gotten our booklets together for Advent. So that means that you have from now until Christmas Eve, a daily reading. Uh, we'll have booklets in the back that we're going to give you on your way out that have been written by you all. So it's beautiful reflections on, the, on uh, stories about peace, the way of peace, all sorts of different, um, different things as we uh, look to Jesus to be our peace. So I'm interested in the greetings of different cultures and how, they, how, they, how different countries and, and cultures uh, say hello or, or connect with one another. I've written about it in a number of times. I, I find it interesting about how Americans tend to do this uh, because we tend to ask questions and not listen to the answer. And so, uh, and I find personally that our ways of greeting are rather anemic when I learn about other countries and how they greet. Um, but there's a greeting that, um, that has been a common Hebrew greeting for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, okay? And it's Shal Shalom, Shal Shalom. And, uh, and so Shalom is, like we just said, is the Hebrew word for what we translate rather simply as peace, okay? And so often, you know, it's, it's this, uh, we, we, we kind of oversimplify it, but even so, it's a nice greeting, right? Peace, peace to you. I, I like that. It's very nice, very sweet in this kind of a season, you know? I, I like that. It's, it's appropriate for the Christmas season. Um, but the thing is, it's not actually a wish for peace. That's not what shal shalom means. Shal is the, the word for I inquire. So, the greeting shal shalom that is used very often is actually a question. And it's the question, is there shalom as you greet somebody? Is there peace? Hello, is there peace? And, and, and the interesting thing is that the root of shalom is the Hebrew word shilam, which is to pay, where we get the word um, shilling from, same, same root. And so um, over the course of the earliest years of the usage of this word, the way you would greet someone, you, do you know when somebody owes, owes you something and it's uncomfortable to be with them? Like they borrowed like your favorite, I don't know, sweater. Good. I was going to say CD. I'm like, half the people in here have never used one. Borrow your favorite cassette tape. Mine was Michael Jackson's Dangerous. Um, but anyways, so... so you know that somebody owes you something, and it's a little weird because you don't know if you should bring it up or not, if they remember, if they just don't want to give it back, if they've forgotten, you know, if it's... So, so the ancient greeting was actually about, hey, is there a payment that is still needed? Do I owe you anything? Are we, are we okay? And then the response to that would be, yes, maybe you do, and there is something, or no, there's, there's shalom. All debts have been paid. So the word, the word shalem is all about payment and debts. Now over the years, like it's, yes, yeah, so, so that question, are you happy to see me or do I still owe you something? 
right? Because you're not that happy to see them if you do, unless you're about to give it back. So over the years, though, oh, oh, I should tell you one more th- thing that's really cool. Um, if the debt was too high for somebody, then there's this phrase and word called the shalom price that someone else could come in and pay the debt for. And so, so if there was someone that was compassionate in your life, they would say, what's the shalom price? What's the price to get shalom? And I will come in and I will pay it. Right? We've got some implications there for the way that the gospel story is told throughout the New Testament into what Jesus did. But so, so let's continue on. Over the years, um, we know that there are all sorts of debts that are beyond financial, yeah? All sorts of things the lacks, lackings that are, that are a part of our reality. And so the shalom greeting over the years came to mean, are you happy to see me or is there still something between us? Is there anything between us? Is there what we might interpret as, is there wholeness or fullness? Okay? And, and so, so the hope of a response to that greeting was, everything is right between us. Shal shalom? Yes, shalom is here. Everything is right between us. This is the vision for God's world. This is, this is the hope. Everything is right between us and God. Everything is right between us and one another. All right? And so, so this, is, this is the image that we get throughout the scriptures. In, in the scriptures, the word shalom was also referred to in conjunction with, the, with a construction project. So there was a shalom stone. A shalom stone in a building project was a, a stone that was perfectly cut to the right dimensions with no blemishes or cracks to build a shalom wall. If you built a shalom wall, it was sturdy, it was not going to break down, and it had no blemishes. Um, and so, so it was complete and it was whole. So again, all of these meanings of the word come to shalom, meaning completeness, wholeness. Things are truly as they should be and not, not breaking down or ready to break down. Okay? Lacking nothing. This is the longing of God's people that we see throughout the scriptures. The longing for peace, for shalom, for wholeness. A weary and exhausted world an exhausted people, too often not in step with God and not in step with each other, lacking shalom. Um, we have this word over and over in the scriptures. In fact, the Talmud, the Talmud is um, a collection that uh, Hebrew people use that is the uh, pretty, pretty authoritative interpretations of the, of the law by rabbis, of the Torah, the Old Testament, okay? So, so Hebrew people would have um, the Old Testament, which they would call the Torah, um, their, their scriptures, and they would have the Talmud, which is the interpretations of the law. And in the Talmud, uh, one of the phrases that it says is God's story's purpose. I'm sorry, um, that's, that's my interpretation of their interpretation. No, the, the phrase that they use is the entire Torah is for the sake of the ways of shalom. That's in the Talmud. The entire Torah is for the sake of the ways of shalom. God's story is to lead us to wholeness. All right? Shalom breaks down when anything's out of alignment, okay? Think about your body. If you have something out of alignment in your back, do you understand how everything else begins to be affected? Some of you are nodding really knowingly because you've just experienced some of this in the last couple of, of months. But when something's off with alignment, it feels like everything else, just like a car. When that one tire is, is worn down too much or, you know, and you're always fighting something. It's just like, oh, I just want to sit here and be able to drive straight. 
So, so this, is, this is the imagery we get. And shalom breaks down when anything is out of alignment. And that, alignment, and that is relationships. That is economics. That is societies. Spirits. Anytime, okay, anytime we or our world is not experiencing complete well-being. And we can feel that in our bones, literally sometimes as we age. <laughs> and we feel like our bodies are lacking in shalom sometimes but we can tell when things aren't right. And, and when we only talk about, like, peace, just as the word that it's often understood as, somewhere deep down we need to understand that what we're really talking is about wholeness being present. Okay? Um, you, you can't have a fight with your spouse and enjoy a night of true peace and, and quiet just because they're not speaking to you. I mean, maybe you can, but in my life personally, that doesn't go down so well, right? Like, like that's not what peace is when there's something that's a disconnect, when something's not right. So, so there in the scriptures, there is no such thing as Pax Romana, right? Roman peace. Roman peace was when, when the Roman Empire was so powerful that there were no wars for a season because they would obliterate everybody. So they, it was the season of Roman peace. It wasn't shalom, not even close, because things weren't right. So this is the journey that we're on. This is the entire, the entire journey that we are, that we are um, diving into this week, to, uh, to, to, to learn what true peace is and learn that true peace can't come until, until things are whole again. It's that sort of thing. So in the Bible, when rival kings would make shalom in the Old Testament stories— it didn't just mean that they stopped fighting. It meant that they began to work together for each other's good. Actually working together and doing something. All right? Um, this, was, this was the vision. And that's what Israel's kings were supposed to be doing throughout the entire story. They were supposed to be making shalom. They were supposed to be helping make complete relationships between God and God's people and between people and one another. And it hardly ever happened. And in the midst of this, the prophet Isaiah, who calls out these people for their lack of shalom in economics, in religion, and how they were not making things right. The prophet Isaiah gave this call that one day there would be someone who was to come. A king, but a king that would be called the prince of shalom, whose shalom would hold on forever. Okay? And this is in Isaiah 9. We, whoops. Um, we have it here. <clears throat> and and um, I, I love the imagery that this name... Now, now I'm not even going to get into multiple um, prophecies because historically, it looks like what was happening was there was probably a local prophecy that actually was referring to something that made much more sense to the people of Isaiah at that time. And then later, when people got to Jesus, they said, oh my gosh, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy. It happens all the time in the scriptures, what we call dual prophecies. But anyways, it was looked at as one day there would be no end to the rule and the peace of this leader. It was a beautiful vision. Unfortunately, though, the in-between times since Isaiah and the story that we come upon this morning were far from full of shalom. Wars raged. People were exploited. There were a lot of big questions if God was even still with his people. The Romans had overpowered them at this point, And the Jewish people found themselves living in occupation and, doc and, and um, dominated yet again by a violent and powerful foreign ruler. It was overwhelming. 
the incredible God stories of the Hebrew people that they had told over and over again totally dried up. They had been silent not just for decades, but centuries at this point. All right? And, and faithfulness began to be very hard. Despair started to, be, started to set in. Anger lived in the air at the time that Jesus came. Hope of a world set right was really hard. And so it's into this reality that an angel with an imagination enters Judea. All right? And in the story around Jesus' birth in Luke, we have all of these little glimpses of what we're calling shalom hope. All right? The first one is a guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah is pretty much like uh, Donna Kelsey in that he's only known because he has famous, a famous child. I have no, nothing against her. But, but this is his story. So he's only, a, he's only a part of the story, really, because of what's supposed to come. And, uh, and so what ends up happening is this angel meets and visits this man named Zechariah, and he is a high-ranking priest who is doing his religious leadership duties at the time. And an angel comes to him, and he's going to be the dad of John the Baptist. And an angel says, hey, you're going to be the dad of this guy, and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, the coming Messiah, the one that Isaiah spoke of one day. And he is skeptical. And so it doesn't go well, as happens when you are skeptical to a, a messenger of the Lord, and so, and the, we, we mess this up. Like, the whole story is so fun, by the way, when this happens. Because when the angel meets him, you can tell that this is not a part of the plan to tell Zechariah that he's about to not be able to speak for the next nine months. Okay? And so, or however long it was. Um, so, so anyways, what ends up happening is that the angel is like, are you really questioning if this is going to happen? Because he's like, my wife's old, she can't have kids, are you sure? And, and so anyways, the angel says, shut your mouth. But when an angel says that, it's a lot more authoritative. And so it actually happens, and he becomes mute, and he can't speak. Now compare this. I'll get to why there's, there's shalom, hope, um, in just a minute. Um, but compare this to what ends up happening um, right after this story, which is that the same angel visits Mary, and Mary... So we've got this high-ranking male religious leader who gets a message of hope and is skeptical. And then we get this woman, young lady, who has zero influence in the world, no pedigree, and she is the shining example of faithfulness. It is a world turned on its head, and it is absolutely glorious So um, she literally gives the most faithful faithful response to God in history. And so this is the beginning of the story. I was supposed to have that up while I was telling this whole thing. Um, And so this is what Mary responds with when the angel says, the Lord is going to come. You're going to have a child. He is going to lead my people. Okay? And we're, we're just glossing over this because I want to lean into the story of hope itself and why it's so hard to come by. And so... When Mary hears this, she begins by saying, not, she, she does say, how can this be? But it's a question full of wonder and not skepticism. And you can tell the tone in the Hebrew and, and just by the way the story's told. Um, but she responds by saying, my soul glorifies the Lord. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm full of, of excitement at this. And then she begins to talk about remembering God's promises. Okay? 
He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. That's a shalom-making message. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That's shalom-making. Things are as they, as they ought to be for all people. This is what God is doing. Helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary says, I remember that God has made promises of full restoration one day. I want to live in it. And the beautiful thing is that in the next story, when we get Zechariah's message, eventually, Zechariah comes around too and has this transformative experience when he is, um, when he is muted and quiet and has to not talk but think and reflect and just be for quite a bit, which I imagine was transformative in, uh, in his and Elizabeth's household as well. But there's this message that when he finally has a chance to proclaim that the boy's name is going to be John and that he is truly walking in faith, he talks about this, this um, messenger, how he will be called a prophet of the Most High, And then he begins to talk about the tender mercy of our God, and he shifts to talking about John to talking about the nature of God. God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, if you can't see this, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And his image and his memory of what God is about to do is, that's the word shalom there, in, in Greek, it's irene, but they, it's, it's the same concept that is transferred all the way from the Hebrew understanding. Guide our feet, our feet into the path of shalom. The way that um, Zechariah marks this beautiful vision is that God will guide his people into the path of shalom. Not just into shalom, but into the path of it. Into the path. God is coming to guide his people into the way of wholeness of completeness. And it's a path, it's a journey that he will be setting them on. How hopeful is that? And then we're looking at one final glimpse before we talk about real life for about three minutes. The one final glimpse is that when Jesus is born, there is this character. Remember, Jesus is born into a hopeless time. In fact, even after Jesus, it was hopeless for a lot of the Jewish people because the one who had come to bring them hope was executed as a political prisoner, just like everyone else. This was a brutal and difficult time to have faith. And when Jesus comes um, at the eighth day to be circumcised and to be named, there is a man who has been in the temple. His name's Simeon. Um, And there's just this, this beautiful, beautiful image. Simeon is only in the story for a tiny little bit. All right? And, um, and what do we have? In, uh, in Luke 2.25, now there was a man named, in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, that's some weird language. So just take a look at how various, um, various translations work with it. Uh, in the common English, he eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. In the message paraphrase, He lived in the prayerful expectancy of help. In a time of complete despair, we have this tiny little several-sentence glimpse of a man who lived with hopeful expectancy that God would not abandon them. 
Just sit with a sense of who this guy was just for a moment. Longing, hoping, waiting for God to appear in a new way. Trusting, believing, watching, imagining. And somehow he sees it in Jesus before anything else has happened. And here's how the story goes. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was custom as the, as the law required. And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. Send me out in shalom. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He knew that God's shalom was coming and he could see it and he could live in it in such a way that even before it came to pass fully, he was at peace. Even before Jesus did what he had come to do, Simeon said, you know what? All I needed was to be reminded that God was coming. Now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die in peace, even having not seen the promise. Seeing the promise in part, but not seeing the end result of it. And this is where I think a vision of shalom is so important and so challenging for us today. We are often the furthest from that example, right? God invites us to have a vision for shalom and to move toward it because of what Jesus has done. But my goodness, it is so hard for us to have an imagination anymore at all. Um, Because we find ourselves struggling with pain either on one side of it or the other. And what I mean by that is that some of us, um, we struggle to admit to look at the world and because it's pretty messed up, we struggle to actually admit what's wrong. So we live in, in denial, essentially. So we don't want to talk about how messed up the world is. We would rather be happy and clappy and we'd go to church and claim victory regularly and kind of gloss over the intense suffering that is happening around our world and even within our very community. I'll be honest. I know I, I, I am privileged and privy to a lot of the pain that many of you have and are experiencing. And because of that, it is sometimes very, very hard for me to preach a message at all. Because it just feels like I'm just giving random junk while you're trying to just survive the next day. To be really honest. It's specifically this last month, it's been something that I, everything just feels flat. I feel like it's, it's in denial, right? We're going to talk about simplicity today, you know, while like some of you are like, how am I going to make it through next week? So we have this balance and the church can never be whole and authentic if we live in denial, if we don't acknowledge what's broken. And we can never be people ever that move toward shalom, that move toward God's shalom, um, if we don't acknowledge what's broken even though sometimes it's hard. But then we have those of us that are on the other side too, on any given day, any given week, any given situation. And that is that we see only what's broken. And because we only can see what's broken in us, in our world, we are so full of, so we've got denial on one side and despair on the other. And we're so full of despair that we can't possibly have an imagination for another world, for a world that God has set right. And so, so this is what's so important. If we cannot participate 
in God's vision of shalom. We cannot be like Simeon who says, even though I haven't seen it in full, I can be at peace knowing that you are at work if we either deny what's broken and don't name it or if we only can see what's broken and can't imagine beyond it. So you may find yourself in one of those categories, either having a hard time admitting what's broken in you or in your world and missing the chance to move toward redemption or overwhelmed with the brokenness so much that hope seems silly and is outside of your grasp. And so what we do is we sit in the darkness of either denial or despair and we forget that God's people have always been a people walking in the dark and looking for and grasping the light and a people being light in the midst of the dark. To be people of shalom means that uh, we, we neither disregard nor dwell on the realities of brokenness, right? Um, neither denial nor despair. It means that we see with eyes of faith and hope because we trust that Jesus has come to actually bring a new reality even when we can't fully see it achieved. This is what God does. It matters that God came to earth as a poor, simple child because it captures our imaginations about God's method. It matters that people had expectations and assumptions that were wrong about the Messiah because it captures our imagination of what God is about. It matters that the life of Jesus is surrounded by stories of power and violence and arrogance and religious arrogance and that Jesus was a counter to those things because it makes us wonder and imagine if we can be too. It matters that this story sometimes feels so ridiculous and naive and unbelievable that one man can change the world in such a way. But because it's what happened, it awakens our imagination to how the story of God has unfolded again and again and again over the course of history. It matters that we see Jesus with fresh eyes once again this season so that we can look out at the world and see it with fresh eyes too. And look at ourselves and see us with fresh eyes too. Ready to love and care and serve and liberate. The season of Advent matters because we need to be pushed toward hope over and over and over again, and we have often lost our imaginations. Lord, have mercy. Jesus came to renew and restore all things. That's what we wait for at Advent. That's what we give space to long for, even when we don't feel it, that God is still at work, that God has come and that God is unfolding something beautiful right here in the middle of the old. Let's not give up looking for that, and let's not give up acting in light of that. I'm inviting you this morning to let Jesus rekindle hope in you for a world full of shalom. We can't talk about what shalom means if we're not willing to have our holy imagination reignited. Okay? We have to do this work and allow ourselves to hope in fresh ways. And this season is the exact time for it. Um, another world is possible. And we get to long for it. And we get to trust that we have a little glimpse like Simeon because we have seen Jesus and Jesus' spirit has been unleashed on the world, but it's still not come to pass in fullness. But we can still rest in the peace that God has made through Christ and begin to work for the peace that the rest of the world longs for. So, um, that's what I'm inviting us to do this morning. Jesus told stories and gave examples that sparked people's imaginations. So we have a little board here that says we imagine with hope. Did I get that right? Is that what it says? Okay, I thought so. We imagine with hope. And what we're going to invite you into to doing um, 
is to actually, as we share in communion in a moment, we want you to begin to fill this board, okay? Right here, right now, we have all these chalkboard paint markers that are like really cool, so they're markers, but they're also like chalk. Um, it's a model of modern technology that I don't fully understand, but it looks wet, but it becomes chalk real quick. Uh, and what we're going to invite you to do is write whatever you sense God stirring you to have an imagination in once again. Imagine the world gone right because God is at work to set things right within you, within our society. What do we imagine that because Jesus came to bring shalom and wholeness to all things, what do we start to imagine again? Maybe it's a world where every child has a home. Maybe it's forgiveness in new ways. I don't want to give you too many examples because you're going to fill this. And you can write it with you. If you have horrible handwriting like me, you can please still write. If you have beautiful handwriting like my wife, you can still write. If you want to draw a simple picture or an image, by all means, decorate this board so that we can help each other rekindle hope as we head into Advent. That Jesus is coming. And Jesus has come to make all things whole and new. Because God's project is to make shalom where shalom has been broken. Um, in camping, if, you've, if you go to bed and you put a, you've got a, a fire raging and you put a big log on it that's real kind of heavy, it's very rare that in the morning, although it looks cold and out, it's very rare that all of the embers have actually been extinguished. It's usually just under the surface. And usually when you give it a little oxygen and a little fuel and you dig down just a little bit, you find the heat and it can be reignited. And sometimes in our lives, especially heading into the winter, it's hard for me, maybe some of you too, it's really hard when you look out at a world that just seems so full of pain to be a people of imagination once again. And some of you probably don't want to do this <laughs> because it, it, it feels fake, because you just don't feel a lot of hope. But we're asking and inviting you as a community witness to participate in what God's people have always held on to which is the fact that God can do something new in you, in our church, and in the world. We have to trust this. This is the story of Jesus, the story of redemption, of rescue over and over and over again. So let's give a little oxygen and a little fuel to uh, the embers that we have within us, the spark of, of Christ. Um, this is what Jesus does. So Advent is a time to make space for something hopeful to grow again, friends. Um, it's time to reclaim our imagination that God's wholeness is still unfolding. So, um, one other thing that I'm going to invite for those of you who feel so, so drawn is to, if you want, we'll turn this thing on. And uh, if you want the word or the phrase or whatever ends up going up on here, you can just, as the music plays, we'll have about six minutes of music, <clears throat> and we're going to share in communion, because as we come to Jesus, we are reminded that as we come toward Jesus, we feel, we, we, we are, are given the Spirit of Christ, which brings a fresh sense of hope, okay? So, um, we'll invite you to come forward. Where are Kim and Kim? What do we decide the, the best way was to do this? Everybody on this side or not? Still, okay, still our normal setup. Excellent, okay. So, um, what we'll do is our servers, go ahead, who are our servers? This, yes, Cammy and Kim, thank you. Um, so our servers will come here, and you can come down the center aisles and just kind of hug the first row 
and receive the bread and the cup. And ladies, you can stand right here in the middle, um, back to back, kind of a little bit. You don't have to be fully back to back so you can see each other's wonderful faces. Um, so you'll hear the bread of life given for you. But after you receive, you can feel free. We have enough room. Might get a little crowded. That's great. You can feel free to make your way over here and add a word or a phrase or an image to this board. And let this be a holy moment. All right? And then if you would like to speak your words into the microphone, it might get drowned out by the music. It might not. This is all a part of the, the journey of just adding our own voices and our imaginations to God's global imagination. So... Um, so we might have some words out there. We'll have communion. We'll have um, this board getting filled up. Our children, if they have something, they can add it at the end. We'll use this board throughout Advent. We'll have it up for the next few weeks to remind us as we look into shalom from other angles. Um, but just take a moment as we begin. Just close your eyes and just imagine, imagine that through Jesus, another world is truly possible. What does it look like in your mind when you think about that? What is the hope for yourself, for transformation, for your neighborhood, for our country, for our world, for those who are suffering? Let's not let that hope die. So let's give voice to it together. And let's live with expectation this Advent. Jesus, have mercy. Come and meet us where we are and keep leading us toward the light that you offer. Restoration for our souls, for our world. Amen.